So did you all have a good Thanksgiving? <clears throat> we did. How many of you guys were traditionalist? <clears throat> Turkey, dressing, cranberry, all the normal. <clears throat> I'm going to get myself in trouble because I'm kind of non-traditional sometimes. I mentioned that last week. <clears throat> we, didn't do, we didn't do traditional. Um, <clears throat> should I tell you what we did? We had herb butter venison filet. Steakhouse version and the cast iron skillet. Ever done it that way? Oof. Diane made a butter parsley potato and then a balsamic glazed Brussels sprouts with cranberries and walnuts. Boy, that sounds pretty gourmet for a Montana redneck, doesn't it? <clears throat> My wife is cultureifying me or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I never liked Brussels sprouts until she started cooking them like that, but they're fantastic. How many of you, the only time you had Brussels sprouts, they were like overdone, they're like mushy, and it's like wilted cabbage and just nasty. Um, that's gross. This was delicious. So anyway, it was good. We got out for a little hunt that afternoon, evening as well, and uh, we came across a, a pretty fresh bull track. And anytime you find a, a bull track that's relatively fresh, you got to follow it. So we trailed that thing through the woods for a couple hours, and it's amazing where an animal that size can go. If you've never done that, it's worth doing sometime because they're huge. And they go through spots that we have a hard time walking through. And uh, boy, just saw some beautiful country, things you don't see until you're following an animal. There's some cedars back here on this Stoltz Lumber Company land that are just as big as the cedars up in the park. Um, Some of them are almost as big as what you see in the the cedar forest back there kind of by, is it Troy? Uh, That area, there's a a big park up there. And we saw just some massive ones. And um, yeah, it it was pretty cool. And help us remember to give thanks when you see a God that's that big and creates this beauty. So we had a good day. I trust you guys did as well. I know many of you got together and fellowships with, with family. Many of you that don't have family here got together and, and had times of fellowship just as church family. And I'm thankful for that. I trust it was a good day. Well, let's review just for a moment or two and catch us up from last week. And then we'll go on to part two of what we began last week. Uh, we're talking about the virtue of gratitude. And last week, we were trying to, to, to help us remember that it's an important concept. We wanted to recognize the importance of gratitude. And we saw that in three specific ways. One, it's a, very, it's a major biblical theme. And we traced the idea of gratitude through the Bible. We saw it in the, in the Old Testament law. We saw it in the Psalms. Uh, we saw it in the Gospels. We see it in the Epistles. And we traced that through. And it reminds us that if God puts this much stock in it, we need to put some effort into it as well. It's a big deal. It's an important concept. We saw, secondly, that gratitude transforms the hearts of those who engage in it, those who practice it. If we spend time in gratitude and thanksgiving, it changes us from the inside out. It does something for us that nothing else can do. And we saw that from a biblical perspective, but also from a secular perspective, citing studies where even the world recognizes the importance of gratitude. I don't think they take it quite far enough. Because it's for them, it's gratitude for things and for people. We realize where these blessings come from, and we can take it to that next level and be thankful to God and express express our gratitude to him. That doesn't mean we should bypass being grateful for the people in our lives as well, because God uses people to accomplish his work and his his mission. And so we need to do both. The third thought we looked at, and this one was a little harder, we saw that um, gratitude transforms the heart when we practice it, but it also darkens the heart. Ingratitude darkens the heart when we, when we practice it. If we omit gratitude from our lives, it's going to have a negative effect on our life and on our heart. And we trace that from Romans 1, who worked through that passage, and um, 
in a sense, it's a little bit discouraging, but I think there's hope in that. And this is how we ended last week. When we realized that ingratitude is at the root of almost every sin we struggle with, if we can get a handle on ingratitude, if we can develop gratitude in our hearts and lives, it can give us victory over anything else that we struggle with. This really is an important concept here. And to me, that gives hope. So we've seen the importance. I don't want to spend more time on that. Let's move to part two. How do we cultivate gratitude in our lives? We understand it's an important concept. How do we cultivate it? How do we begin to practice it? Um, I, I chose the word cultivate on purpose. How many of you guys have experience in gardening or farming, that type of thing? I don't have farming experience, although the, the garden my dad had us plant when we were kids felt like a, felt like a, a farm. It was huge. <laughs> and as a six, seven-year-old kid out there trying to weed it and keep the gophers out of it and all that, it, it, felt, it felt like we were farming. <clears throat> dad was good. He'd, he'd, he'd give us a quarter, I think, every time we got a gopher out of that garden. So we had a lot of fun uh, trying to chase him out and using BB guns and all kinds of fun stuff. But um, cultivating, what all is involved in that process? Well, there's planting of the seeds, and there's watering the seeds, and there's weeding, and there's keeping the soil moist and mulched, and, and all that effort that goes into it, keeping the, the critters away. Um, cultivation doesn't just happen. If you go out and put seeds in the, in the, we have little garden planters out here, they're small. If I just throw some seeds in there and I forget about it for the rest of the summer, what kind of a harvest am I going to have? Well, I'll probably get a couple things because they're going to come volunteer and they're going to do their thing. Uh, God, God has that happen despite us. But am I going to get the same kind of harvest that I would have if I'd have spent time cultivating it? No, and I think it's the same thing with gratitude. Gratitude does not just happen. I've got to prepare the soil. I've got to invest some effort. I've got to do some work. And so let's talk about that a little bit today. I've got two main perspectives here. We're going to look at theological considerations. These help form the basis for how we are grateful and why we need to be grateful. And then secondly, at the end, we'll just take some time and look at some practical considerations, some practical ways that we can choose to be grateful in our lives. So let's begin this and see if we can work through it here this morning. Number one, um, on the theological side of things, ingratitude is the default setting of my heart. Would you agree with that? Ingratitude is the default setting of my heart. It's, it's, it's just where my heart goes, naturally. And ever since the curse, mankind has struggled with sin and mankind has struggled with gratitude. And these aren't new concepts. We understand this. Before Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not alive to spiritual things. Uh, our flesh wanted nothing to do with God or his righteousness. It opposed God in every possible way. When we repented of our sins... And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, has that happened for you? Has there been a time in your life where you recognize your sinfulness and you realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sin and you put your faith and trust completely in him for salvation? Has that happened for you? If that has, then there's a change that took place in your life. When we did that, Jesus Christ, um, he, he came into our lives and we became alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins and now we're born again, John tells us in John chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what was the promise of God? Thou shalt surely die. Dying, thou shalt surely die. They died spiritually when they ate of that fruit. And then 900 years later, they died physically, right? Death is a result of sin. But when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, God gave us a new nature. That spirit in us that died in the garden was recreated and it became alive again. And what's my point in all this? We now have a new nature and an old nature, and these are truths that we understand, but, but I wanted to bring this to the front again. The new birth 
did not eliminate your flesh. Boy, I wish it did sometimes. I wish I didn't have to battle with it anymore because I'm saved and because God's given me a new nature. It says in 2 Corinthians that old things are passed away and all things are become new. They're becoming new, but they're not there yet. We still have this battle. We still struggle with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. At least I do. Do you? And if you, it doesn't take a lot of thought to realize the connection between the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and ingratitude. There's a, a logical connection between each of those three and the idea of ingratitude. But here's the point that I wanted to get to, and that is this, victory over the flesh is possible. We have a new nature, and that new nature can live and it can walk in victory. Let's look at a couple passages here quickly. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Again, this is, this is okay to review, right? These are truths that you know. One of the passages I was reading in my devotions uh, is in, in, in 1 Timothy. talked about the importance of a minister just reminding people <laughs> of the truth. I don't have to come up with something fantastic and new. I just have to remind us of what we already know, and sometimes that's a big deal. What does it say in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20? It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I need to recognize that my old man, my flesh, has been crucified with Christ. That's a true statement. It has happened. When Jesus died on the cross, my flesh was crucified with him. Galatians 2 tells us that. Well, if he's dead, why do I still struggle with it? Turn over with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It would be nice to read the whole chapter, but we're not going to take time for that right now. But look down in verse 11. It says, Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. We need to reckon this to be true. We need to count this to be true. We need to understand it and live our lives from that perspective. Um, reckon's not a southern word in this context. Maybe that's a way to say it. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Um, it, it's often used as a, as a word in the South. I reckon. I reckon we'll do that. I reckon I'll get around to that sometime. That's not the idea here. It's, it's an accounting term. And I, I begin to think about this, and I analyze it, and, I, and I, I think about it logically, and it makes sense. And so I count this to be true. And I live my life from the perspective that I indeed am dead to my sin and dead to my flesh. And then the next step is I need to walk in the Spirit. Yes, my old man is crucified. Now I need to count it to be true. I need to live that way. And I do that by walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. Turn over there quickly with me. Galatians chapter 5. In verse 16, Paul says this, This I say then, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. If we live in the spirit, let's walk in the spirit. That's the third step here. Folks, victory over our flesh is possible if we recognize what Jesus Christ has already done for us. So... Ingratitude is the default setting of my heart, but it doesn't have to be that way. I can, I can wake up each morning and reprogram the button, and I can, I can program it for gratitude. 
The second thought that we see here as we work through this, the theological considerations is this. A big view of God naturally leads to gratitude. If I have a big view of God, it's going to lead to gratitude. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And let's just highlight a couple things that we looked at last week. I think you'll see the progression here. In in Romans 1, uh, we looked in verse 18. And we worked down through the passage a little bit here. But in verse 21, it says, Because they knew they, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We, we use that as the, as, a, as the basis for that third point in the message last week. So there's a connection in Romans 1 between failing to glorify God and ingratitude. So how does that tie in with the idea of a big view of God? Well, we'll get there in a second. These people knew God. They had an acquaintance with God. What was the nature of their understanding of God at this point? It's just creation. And they understood from creation that God is eternal, that he is God, that he's divine, he's powerful. And they knew that much. But they chose not to glorify him. They didn't honor him as God, and so they became ungrateful until God darkened their foolish heart. We saw that progression. So if glorifying God helps me with gratitude, how do I glorify God? What does that mean? Well, it means to honor him, to esteem him highly. It means to reverence him. It's the idea of praising God and magnifying him and celebrating him. It's seeing God for who he is and having the same opinion that he has. It's putting God in his proper place. It's acknowledging him as my creator and then surrendering to him as my Lord. Do you think maybe that's the rub? Do you think maybe that's why the people in the passage here in Romans 1 didn't want to glorify God? Because when I acknowledge him as my creator, I have to surrender to him. That's the next step. And that's hard for the heart to do. It's it's sometimes hard as believers to surrender to the Lord, let alone someone that doesn't even know him. So how do I get a bigger view of God? If that helps me to glorify him and then helps me with gratitude, how do I get a bigger view of God? Well, I put this down, spend time in creation. It's a good thing to do. Now, don't do it Sunday morning when you should be in church. Okay, spend time with God in creation, but don't worship the creation, worship the creator. When we saw those massive cedar trees, it wasn't like, wow, that's impressive. It's like, wow, we have a big God. And when we saw this elk, we didn't see him, unfortunately. Well, Melissa would probably say fortunately, but unfortunately we didn't see him. But watching how he could navigate this forest, and it just boggled my mind. How did God create something that can live that way and do that and get around and cover countries so much faster than we can? And it gives me a big view of God. So spending time in creation is good. It does something for my soul. I hope it does something for yours as well. Get out and see it. But be sure to connect it with your creator. Secondly, study the non-communicable attributes of God. Now That's a fancy way of saying study these characteristics of God that make God who he is. They're bigger than us. They're not ones that we are going to be able to have because we're not God. Now, God made us in his image. We'll talk about that in a second. But there are some attributes and characteristics of God that are so far beyond us, we'll never be able to completely understand them. So begin to think about those. Study them out. Begin to think about, I said the three O's, his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. Stop and think about the truth of those statements. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There is nothing that God cannot do. He's omnipresent. He can be with me here in... Columbia Falls this morning. He's with my friend Jim, who's preaching over in Helena. Um, He's with my dad, who's struggling with cancer in Colorado. 
He's with my son who's not walking with the Lord in Evergreen. He's with your family wherever they may be, and he's there all the time at the same time. Does that not boggle your mind? How about his omniscience? He knows everything. He knows everything that's going on in your heart and in my heart. He knows the fears. He knows the struggles in your mind. He knows all of those things. He knows what you need. He knows what you want. He knows how best to satisfy those desires. Begin to think about that and connect those to your life. Make it real with where you're walking right now. And as you do, you're going to get a bigger view of God. And it'll help you to glorify him. Oh, you could go on with that list, his eternality, his self-existence. Wait a second. God has always existed. Nothing or nobody created him. Self-existent? I don't know how that works. But he said it, and so I'm going to believe it. His immutability. Aren't you thankful for a God who never changes? Never. He never has a bad day. He never wakes up grouchy. Well, I don't either. I let her sleep. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just seeing if you guys are awake. And so you responded a little bit. So now I know we can move on. She started laughing when I said I don't wake up grouchy. So I had to throw that last little bit in there. I do try to let her sleep, but not grouchy. She's not grouchy. Do some people do mornings better than others? Have you noticed that? How many of you guys do mornings well? How many of you offend your partner because they don't do mornings as well as you do? you got to learn how to live together, don't you? It's important. I don't know how we got off on that, but we're awake now. How about God's transcendence? His transcendence. That's a concept we don't often think about, but the fact that God is infinitely above me and who I am to the point where I can't even comprehend it. But in his grace, there's another term called imminence, where he allows himself to be made known unto us. And we see that in the incarnation with Emmanuel, God with us. He became one of us so that we could see him for who he is. Wow, his non-communicable attributes of God. Spend time thinking and meditating upon them, and it will help you to glorify God, and it will increase your gratitude. But also, study the communicable attributes of God. These are ones that we understand a little better. His love and his holiness, his justice, his creativity, his grace and mercy and faithfulness, and the list just goes on. And by the way, we've been made in the image of God, and so these attributes have been given to us to a certain degree. Do humans have creativity? Absolutely. Can they create out of nothing like God did? No. But has he given us a certain level of the ability to create? Absolutely. Do it and honor God in the process and thank him for that, that, that gift. God is love. Does he give us the ability to love? Yeah. Does he desire we love the same way he does? Yes. Can we ever completely fulfill that? No, but we should sure try. We should sure endeavor to do that. And you begin to think about these attributes and how he, they relate to me specifically and, and, and physically. And it just helps me to love God more. It helps me to glorify him. It increases my view of who God is. And when that happens, the natural progression is I'm going to be grateful because I didn't do anything to deserve these. They're all manifestations of his grace. As you meditate on these things, God will become big in your eyes, and you'll revere him, you'll honor him, you'll praise him. And when you do that, you're glorifying him. And when you're glorifying God, the next step is you're going to be grateful. The two go hand in hand together. What a great thought. We see a third truth here as we, as we think about this, and that is this, this thought. There's a link between gratitude and grace. And that link between gratitude and grace stirs my heart to gratitude. 
three links that I see. First of all, a linguistic link, and this probably doesn't mean as much to you, but you can see the, the words there that I put down in the English versions of the Greek letters there. Grace is a little word, charis. You look down at thankfulness, and you see it's eucharistos. What's right in the middle of that word? Charis. There's a link linguistically between grace and thanksgiving. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It's these undeserved gifts that he gives to me. And, and Paul just takes this idea of grace and, and takes it off the charts as far as in relationship to my salvation. But thankfulness, this word eucharistos, is the idea of being well off and prosperous and blessed because of grace, the things that have been freely given to me. There's a, there's a tie there, just in the language themselves. So I recognize God's grace in my life, that all that I have is because of his grace. And I remember that what I've been given, I remember what I've been given as opposed to what I deserve. And when I put those two in contrast to each other, man, I can't help but be grateful. I was reading an author, and he made a comment, something to this effect. Um, Well, actually, I mentioned it a little further on in the notes there. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's a linguistic link here in the passage. There's also a scriptural link. We mentioned last week that thankfulness is mentioned 63 times in the New Testament, and Paul's writings account for 43 of those times. Interestingly enough, grace is mentioned 156 times in the New Testament, and Paul's writings account for 109 of them. Is that a coincidence? (laughs) No. There's a link there. Why is Paul so grateful? Because he understands some things about grace. He understands what grace is and and why God has given it to us. Oftentimes, they can be found in the same context. Um, Flip over to Romans chapter 1. Actually, you're still there probably. Look in verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Do you see the connection? They're both in the same two verses, grace and thanksgiving. Grace is such a big deal to Paul, he opens every epistle with it and he closes every epistle with it. There's a reason that Paul was one of the most, um, most thankful people that we see in the New Testament. But third, not only is there a linguistic link and a scriptural link, there's a practical link here as well. When I focus on what I deserve, it leads to ingratitude. Why? Well, if you're like me, if you're human, we always think we deserve better. <laughs> we always think we deserve more. And I don't know why that is. It's just the default setting of our heart. I should have this, I should have that, so-and-so has this, so why don't I have this? Um, Children, did your kids ever struggle with that? I mean, mine were perfect and didn't, but I'm thinking maybe some of you guys struggled with that with your kids. We've got puppies out here in the yard, and this morning Diana was ready to wring their little necks because they were fighting over the same, they had one stick, and they couldn't all play with that stick. They all had to have it independently, and and if I have it, you can't have it, and you can't have it. And and they're barking and carrying on, and and she said, it's just like kids. (laughs) And sometimes... It's just like us, right? It's good for us to focus and remember God's grace in our lives. Remember that blessings are not birthrights. Do you understand what I mean by that? Blessings are not birthrights. Entitlement is the enemy of gratitude. Chew on that for a second. Do we live in a society where entitlement is a big deal? People believe that they deserve just because. I mean, after all, look who I am. I just deserve. I don't have to work for it. I just want it given to me. Um, We need to be careful with that because when I develop that mentality, when I have an entitlement mentality, I'm not going to be grateful. I can't have those two at the same time. Grace reminds me that I've been given way more than I deserve. And Paul understood that. 
Paul owed a debt that he could not repay, so he became a debtor to grace. There's a link between gratitude and thanksgiving. There's a link between grace and gratitude. All right, let's move on a little further here. There's one, another thought that I'd like to bring out, and that is this. Gratitude is a biblical measuring stick for sanctification. Say, so, well, Pastor Mark, where are you going with that? Well, let's see if we can get there. Turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I think that's one of those books that Paul wrote. Might have something to say about grace and gratitude. Just thinking. And let's read verses 16, 17, and 18. Paul says this, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Did you notice these three bullet points have three things that we are to do regularly and consistently, even all the time? We are to rejoice evermore. We are to pray, and we are to pray without ceasing. And we are to give thanks in everything. There's three everys in that passage. Three things that we should be doing at all times, rejoicing and praying and thanking. And by the way, the middle one, this idea of prayer is just the manifestation of joy and, and gratitude. It's just how I'm coming to God that way. It's the communion that I'm bringing to God. And even my petition should come wrapped in joy and thanksgiving, right? Um, these three actions are the will of God for us as believers. That's what it says. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I believe that applies to all three of these actions, not just the last one. I think it very well could have been commas there. Rejoice evermore, comma, pray without ceasing, comma, and everything give thanks, comma. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. All three of those go together. I don't think we can separate them from, from the passage. So these three actions are part of God's will for us. Inward, incessant joy, continual, unceasing prayer, constant, unending gratitude. And if we do those things, we're walking in God's will. If we're not doing those things, we're not walking in God's will. Now, back up with me to chapter 4 and verse 3. We see this same phrase, uh, this idea of the will of God. And look down in chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says this, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. That you should, and he goes on, that you should abstain from fornication, and it goes on into the passage dealing with morality there. But this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So in 4 verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. In 5, uh, 18, this is the will of God, your joy, your prayer, your gratitude. So there's a connection. There's a sense where Paul's equating sanctification with these three virtues, with the idea of joyfulness and the idea of, of prayer and the idea of gratitude. Now, I realize that, this is, that that's not all he's talking about here, but I think the link is, is there, and I think that that connection should be made. And maybe this is a way to say it. When I take my spiritual temperature, I'm looking for these things to be in my life. When I take my spiritual temperature, is my heart full of joy? Am I eagerly communicating with the Lord? Am I perpetually grateful? Are those things present? Why? Because this is the heart of true Christianity. If it's not present, I'm not being sanctified. I'm not walking in sanctification because that's how sanctification behaves. It's joyful. It wants open and honest communication with the Lord, and it's thankful. I don't know about you, but I don't often think about testing my spirituality by these three measures. It doesn't usually come to my mind. But Paul is giving us a different measuring stick here. 
And I think part of what he's saying is this, don't evaluate your spiritual condition on the fact that you haven't committed robbery or immorality. (laughs) Up for the grace of God. Maybe you have. But you've taken it to the Lord and it's been forgiven. Okay, but we don't base our spirituality on that. Don't base your spirituality on the fact that you haven't cheated or that you, know, you kept your road rage under control when that Californian pulled in front of you and you got angry. But you kept it under control and you didn't beat him with a stick. So it's okay, I'm spiritual still. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit for emphasis. You understand. Don't even evaluate your spiritual condition on the fact that you go to church or on how much or how often you serve the Lord within the church. Because we can use these arbitrary measuring sticks to give ourselves a perspective of sanctification that may not be entirely accurate. And I'm guilty of this too. Because look, Lord, at what I'm doing for you. (laughs) Look at all the things. But if I'm not doing it with a joyful heart or I'm not doing it regularly praying to my God and if I'm not doing it with gratefulness and gratitude, am I really taking an honest temperature? I need to evaluate my spiritual condition on whether I'm rejoicing, whether I have an open line of communication with the Lord, and whether I'm giving thanks in everything. And if that's not defining my heart at the moment, the thermometer is telling me that there's something wrong. And that's a good thing to remember. Gratitude is a great biblical measuring stick for sanctification, and I needed that reminder this week. It's important for us to, to reflect and look at our lives the way God looks at them. Because I can, I can do a lot of things in service after joy has gone out the window. (laughs) I can do a lot of things for God and not be grateful in the process. I need to have these three three truths in my life, and that's when I'm going to be sanctified. And then, boy, I'm going to have God's power in my service and in what I'm doing for him. What a great thought. There's one more truth here as far as the theological perspective, and that is this. Gratitude may not be my default setting, but it can become a learned response. Gratitude can be learned. Turn with me to a couple passages here. And I want us to see, first of all, that there's a link between gratitude and contentment. I mentioned that with the first song that we sang, the song Satisfied. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll go to another passage that bears it out as well. Um, starting in verse 6, Paul says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. He uses the word twice in that passage. Flip back with me to the book of Philippians. <clears throat> the book of Philippians in chapter 4. Again, a very familiar passage. But I think it connects these idea, this idea of gratitude and contentment. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We see that in 1 Thessalonians. We see it here again. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and, thanks, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Jesus Christ. And then look down to verse 10. Paul says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, you cared for me, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. What's the context? It's contentment. God says, I give you the power. You can be content. You can be grateful. 
There's a link between gratitude and contentment. We could say they go together like turkey and stuffing. I do like turkey. I just, I don't boycott it necessarily. We just do other things. It's okay. Don't be mad at me. Um, gratitude is being thankful for what I have. Contentment is being satisfied with what I have. And it's a close tie together. And we could say it this way. The consistent practice of gratitude combined with the regular confession of ingratitude will build a new and godly habit in my life. And I think we see that in this passage. There's two little words. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. And then you go down to the next verse. He says, I am instructed. I have learned and I am instructed. Um, learned is the idea of learning by use and practice. It's developing a habit. It's getting muscle memory. Um, <clears throat> not sure Darren may not be feeling well today, but Darren's a carpenter. Bruce is a carpenter. Some of you guys are in those trades. Uh, Darren's I'm, reason I'm thinking about him is he's had a shoulder injury and hasn't been able to use his hammer hand for a long time. Um, but Darren and Bruce and these guys that do this for a living, can they pound a nail in usually without bending it over? Why? Because they pounded thousands of nails into boards, right? And they can just do it. They're, 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 they don't even think about it. Their hammer and their hand, it just pounds it in and they don't bend it over. Those of us that haven't done it as often or as regularly, we're probably going to bend a couple over and have to straighten them back out. They've built muscle memory. They've developed this habit because they've done it so many times. That can happen for us with ingratitude, but it can also happen with gratitude. Paul says, I have learned and that means he's practiced it over and over and over again. The idea of instructed is to teach fully or completely or to initiate. And I think maybe this would be a way to say what Paul is saying here. My experience with profound need and great abundance has taught my heart to be content no matter which one I'm experiencing at the moment. And so now he's demonstrating that by showing his gratitude regardless of the situation. When I become truly satisfied with what I've been given, I'll also be grateful for what I have. And the only way to learn gratitude is to practice it. Do it over and over, regardless of your circumstances, especially when your circumstances are not going the way you want them. Be grateful. Express your thanksgiving at that time. So several theological considerations here, but let's get practical for a bit, shall we? Uh, I think there was some practical we could get there as well, but let's just, let's just throw some things out here. Take the ones that work for you. Uh, this is not necessarily scripture. Um, but I think we could tie scripture with them. Number one, study the topic of gratitude in scripture. You want to be more grateful? See what God has to say about it. That's not rocket science, or as Dave would say, rocket surgery. Um, there's a shout out to Dave. He's, he's going to listen to this later on, and I'm just saying that so I, I find out if he really did or not. <clears throat> Look at the commands in context. Are there commands for us to be grateful? Yes. Look at those, study them out, and look at them in their context. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 is a great one, or 18 is a great one. Philippians 4, we looked at that. Ephesians 5 has the command. Colossians 3 has the command. 1 Timothy 6. Find these passages and study them out. Uh, number two, reflect on bad examples. Wait a second, why would I think about a bad example? Remember that we talked about this a while back, sometimes bad examples stick better than good examples. Can I give you an illustration? <laughs> There's lots of them. Think back to the Old Testament when Israel is working their way out of Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. And I think the passage is in Numbers chapter 21. They didn't have food, right? Think about it. You're there and you're hungry. Uh, you don't have anything else with you. And you wake up in the morning and there's this white stuff all over the ground. And you're thinking, what in the world is this? And that's what they named it. What in the world is this? Something like that. Um, and so they go out and they begin to harvest. And God gives them the rules for it. Take what you need for the day. This was a miracle. 
This was God providing food out of nothing, right? And they were excited about it for a while. But how long did that last? Boy, you get to, to, to Numbers chapter 21, and it says, Our soul loatheth this light bread. We hate it. This miracle that God had done for them over the course of time became something that they couldn't stand. Wow. And that can happen in my heart, too. These negative examples, it's an object lesson that helps stick it in my brain. God, help me not to be that way. God, I don't want to to have that in my life. So I study the bad examples. It sticks. Study the good examples. There's so many of them. Uh, Paul, when he was on the boat and they were about to be shipwrecked and they're going to be on the island of Malta, they haven't eaten forever, and he, he finally convinces them, let's eat. What does he do? He gives thanks for the food and probably also for the situation. Wow. Think about the lepers. The one that came back, the nine is negative and the one is positive. Study these out and ponder them. Think about them. Maybe consider a character study on those who modeled it well. Think about David and Paul and and look at their lives and how they demonstrated gratitude. Make a list of the praise psalms and meditate on them. Practical ways that you can take scripture and look at this topic and study it through and develop it in your lives. Number, Number two, practice gratitude regularly throughout the day. Practice it. Schedule it in to your day. You think, well, that's kind of, that's, that's, I don't know, can I really do that? Is that really going to help me to succeed? Well, how did you build habits before? I, I, I wrestled from the time I was just a little kid all the way up through it, and I, I coached in the past. And how do we get the kids to learn a double leg takedown? We practice it over and over and over and over again. Practice gratitude over and over and over again, and it will stick. I think there's a biblical basis for this. In Psalm 119.64, it says, David, David says this, seven times a day will I praise you. Well, what were those seven times? When he got up, maybe? When he went to bed? That's two easy ones. When he paused for a meal? That's good. Um, if you're in the workforce, you could, you could do it when you have your morning coffee break and when you have your afternoon coffee break, if you have those. Um, find ways to schedule these ideas of gratitude, and maybe you set an alarm on your phone every two hours. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to, I'm going to think of something to praise God for, to thank God for. We have technology. Let's use it for something positive. Schedule it in. Uh, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 6, three times a day, he turned to Jerusalem, and he offered thanksgiving. Okay? So this idea of scheduling it is not a bad thing. Schedule it into your day until you build the habit. But then the third idea here, move from the scripted to the impromptu. Still keep the scripted as you need to, but then also develop this idea of impromptu praise and impromptu gratitude. Develop the skill of observation. Learn to notice. How many blessings of God do we enjoy, but we miss the opportunity to say thank you because we just missed it? It happened, and we kind of enjoyed it, but we didn't, we didn't connect it to the fact that it came from God. Learn to observe. Learn to see those things. Be specific. We need to be specific with confession. It's not, Lord, forgive me for all my sins. But it also shouldn't be, Lord, thank you for all my blessings. That's a cop-out. And that's not going to develop gratitude in my life. I've got to be specific for what I'm thanking God for. Next, record the blessings. Uh, Maybe you're a journaler. Man, write them down. Before you forget, because you're going to forget. Uh, My wife has done something different this year. She has a blessing jar. And every day when she gets home, if there's something that God has done that was just really cool or really special, she jots it down and folds it up and throws it in the jar. And at the end of the year, we're going to open that jar, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, we're going to be reminded of all those things that we forgot during the course of the year. And what's it going to do? It's going to increase our gratitude because we need those things. Connect the blessing with a person. 
This is something that I saw even in secular writings. I think it's scriptural as well. Don't just be thankful for the act or the action. Connect it with a person. Uh, when you do that, it, it improves the relationship. Don't be just grateful for the act. Realize it was done by a person. And include that person and include that person with specifics. And then the th- last thought here under the impromptu side of things is show your appreciation. Move from, move from words to actions. Uh, does it mean a lot when someone says thank you? It does, and it should. Does it mean more sometimes when they demonstrate that in a tangible way? Yeah, find ways to do that. All right, two other thoughts here. Um, number three, take inventory of the times you demonstrate ingratitude. We don't like this one necessarily, but I think it's important. If we're going to move forward in the idea of gratitude, I need to see why and when I'm not being grateful. So take the time when you do that to confess that sin and to forsake that sin. Make that a part of this. Secondly, examine your motives. What was going on in your heart that brought complaining words to your lips? What's going on? Where's that ingratitude coming from? Um, That's the next level. That's a little hard to think about that because it's digging deeper, but it's getting to the root of the problem. And when I can find that, I can deal with it at that level. And then number three, don't leave the moment until, until you find something for which to genuinely thank God. That's so important. It's that replacement principle that we see in the book of Ephesians. Um, when you're ungrateful, use it as a catalyst to praise. Thank God for bringing it to your mind and then find something else to thank God for. Final thought here, as far as practical suggestions, hang out with grateful people. <laughs> Spend time with people that get it. Um, habits can be caught. How many would, of you would say that ingratitude is contagious? I think we'd agree with that because we've all fallen prey to that. But my friends, gratitude can be contagious as well. And we want to catch that one. <laughs> we don't want to catch ingratitude. Spend time with people that are grateful. Be the grateful person that other people want to spend time with. Just some, just some thoughts. You guys take those and run with them um, as God leads in your life and in your heart. We covered a lot of things this morning. Uh, those theological reasons and basis is, is significant. It's important. Reflect on those things. But take time to think about the practical side of it as well. And let's begin to incorporate this idea of gratitude into our lives and see how it helps us in the other areas of our life that we need to have victory over as well. Well, tonight, let me encourage you to come back because we're going to take time to put this into practice. We're going to talk about these five areas that I've mentioned in the bulletin. And we're going to sing, we're going to intersperse praise and singing and some times of prayer. And I trust it'll be an encouragement. Uh, it'll, be kind of, it'll be somewhat scripted, somewhat unscripted. Uh, but I trust it will be a blessing. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you um, for the great God that you are. Lord, I thank you for your word and the way that it shows us our need for gratitude. And, and Father, the positive blessings that come because of gratitude. Lord, we see the reasons that we're so often ungrateful. But you also show us the ways that we can conquer ungratefulness and become thankful people. I pray, Lord, that we would focus on this. Lord, I, I don't know to what degree we each struggle with this, but... To the degree that we struggle, may we be diligent to invest time and effort into getting victory in this area of gratitude. And Father, we'll thank you for that. Lord, help us to develop this joy and this constant prayer and this gratitude in our lives. May we be characterized by those things like the Apostle Paul was. Father, may we be people that others look to and say, wow, you've got something that's going on in your life that I don't have, and I want that. Lord, help us to be grateful to you. And we'll thank you for all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.